wonderful song. Just love the song. Uh, I am resolved. I want to ask you this morning, what are you resolved to do in the next 45 minutes? We're going to open up God's Word, right? We're going to look at it and we're going to study from it. Is there a, a resolution in your heart right now concerning what we're going to do in the next 45 minutes or so? Well, let's talk to the Lord and you talk to Him about what He would have you do in the next 45 minutes, all right? Heavenly Father, we come before you today so thankful for everything you have done for us. We, we use the word everything. It's far beyond that. We know. We know. It's, it's wonderful to have such a God as you who goes far beyond our comprehension in every single way and what you do for us just shows your character your, it shows us again the depth of your great love and your mercy and your grace. You just shower it upon us all the time. We are very grateful recipients today. We gather in this place to worship you, to sing our songs to your praise, to, to even spend time to your glory reading and studying from your word. And it is time for us to set our hearts to prepare ourselves, not only for what we hear, but also that we are quick to do what you call us to do. And Lord, you're at work in each of us. There's no doubt about that. And as we sit at your feet, remind us again, we are your children. And as your children, you love us so. And your, your will for us is perfect. And it will be accomplished. And this is part of the process that we're in right now. May we not take these minutes to be something to be treated lightly, but may we have our full attention as we go into your priceless, precious word. Guide us in it and change us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I encourage you to join me in Galatians 5, verse 22. You'll recognize the words that are in front of you. In verse 22 and verse number 23, the list recall the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. For some of you who are visiting with us today, or this is your first Sunday, and uh, we hope that you're able to come back and join us uh, real soon as well. We've been on a series. Now this is our 18th sermon in this series on the internal battlefield. As believers, this is going on within us. It's a spiritual conflict. And we started this in verse number 15. And uh, actually verse 13, but uh, 15 is where we were uh, launching it and moving into 16, 17, 18, and so on. It's been quite a journey so far. Obviously, 18 weeks already. And we've made it all the way up to verse 22. And uh, today we're examining closely verse 22 and we're working our way into verse 23. But it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and I'll just keep going, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. There's a sense of relief. I, I could sense for myself and maybe for you as well as we enter into our text today. 
Uh, as you know, we've been in some very ugly territory for a while. Uh, verse 19 through verse 21 is a pretty tough section. And we've been through that. And so when we hit verse 22, perhaps they're saying, well, finally, uh, we're on something that's not convicting. We're in a passage where it doesn't start woe to you, or thou shall not, or something of that extent. So maybe you aren't bracing yourself this morning as you anticipate the words that we're about to go through. Dr. S.M. Lockridge, many years ago, preached a sermon that's been very impressive to us, but he said in that sermon, and I'm going to actually read his words, that a sermon ought to do at least four things for you. He said, one, it should, it should stretch your mind. It should inform you. It should instruct you. Two, it should tan your hide. It should correct you. Three, it should warm your heart. It should inspire you. And four, it should provoke the will. It should challenge you to do what the Lord would have you to do. Scripture says that. It says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction. It's profitable for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. In other words, it is to your advantage, it's to my advantage this morning that we open up God's Word right now. It's to our advantage. We must press on for that completion that this Word is doing in our lives. The completion so that we can serve better. So that we could serve Him better. So that we're adequate, equipped for every good work. Even Psalm 119 has a verse in it that's, I know there's 176 verses in there, but one is so precious to me. It speaks of how the unfolding of the Word gives light and understanding. That's always been my goal, is just to keep unfolding it for you, because that's where we find our, our knowledge of what it says and, and direction for what we need to do. Because we do need to know what to do. We do need to know how to do it. And without study, we can't ever get there. So obviously, this morning, I'm, I'm prepping you for something, aren't I? Uh, primarily, I want us to be ready, and not just ready, but willing to receive God's Word and let it have its impact in our lives, and it will. And very directly, I say this. I'm approaching a text, verse 22 and 23, we call it the fruit of the Spirit, that is easy to generalize. It's easy to be artistically embellishing in such a passage. It's easy to illustrate these words with happy, fuzzy kind of stories. They're simple passages that would serve something like comfort food. <laughs> when somebody just wants something, you know, it may not be, you know, it's just something we're comfortable with. Maybe some people read verse 22 and 23 kind of like a dessert with heavy sugary frosting. They, there's a lot that's done with this. So, I don't think you'll be too surprised if I don't preach it that way. 
when we go into this text. I, I'm not heading the other way either to just let you know. I'm not pulling out a two-by-four, and I'm not coming at you to beat you. All right? That's not, not unless you need beaten. That might be necessary. I don't know. I'm not going to convict you. The Holy Spirit can do that. Uh, I do aim at accuracy, and I'm going to do that, uh, because the goal is that you're adequate and prepared for every good work. This passage is part of that, too. You see, as we've been studying chapter 5, we have used the picture of a battlefield for a reason. These uh, dangers do lurk out there in spiritual realms. This is a spiritual conflict that we're studying here. Uh, There are victims and there are horrors that come from walking in the flesh. Today we're going to take a very close look at the intention of our commander, the Holy Spirit. What is he doing and what is he equipping us for? And I'm going to give you a whole new picture of verse number 22 and 23. Rather than something that would look like a beautiful piece of art on your wall, or a nice little bookmark perhaps in your Bible... I want you to look at verse 22 and 23 as ammunition. Now, there's a different view. Since we're using the battlefield as our theme, the ammunition to accomplish his work through us. The ammunition he gives us. You see, he does have a strategy, does he not? He's at work in our lives intentionally. And all that he does proves how wise he is And these things given to us, as we're going to study the list in verse 22 and 23, they're not items given to us just to make us feel good. All right? There's wisdom and there's purpose. And it's set in this setting for a reason. He's been talking about very ugly things and conflict in here. And these words were not just meant to get us off the topic. They're necessary items in the midst of the conflict. So I'm going to use the concept of ammunition. Because when you point out these things, verse 22 and 23, I did this last week especially, they're in opposition to the deeds of the flesh, aren't they? It starts with, but the fruit of the Spirit is. That's in contrast to what we saw in verse 19 through 21. The deeds of the flesh are more than just the results of a fleshly walk. The deeds of the flesh, we saw idolatry, impurity, sensuality, and all these other things that came out of there. Those are tools, folks. Those are tools that the flesh use to drive wedges between people, and you know they do. They, they are tools used to infect other people with sin. They are tools that are not used in isolation. But sin always has a way of affecting those around them. Now, if there is a similarity between what we saw in verse 18, 19, 20, 21, and our list now of the fruit of the Spirit, I would like to say it this way. The fruit of the Spirit is also a set of tools. It's a set of tools. And some people I know like to call them virtues or characters or or various words like that. That's okay, too. But many times we isolate it down to the individual. We speak of the fruit of the Spirit uh, like it's just about what I get out of this. 
when I want us to change our focus today and look at them more like the contagious aspects that when they're at work in us, they affect those around us. They're not meant for isolation. They're not meant for individuality because you cannot operate with these without touching and affecting somebody else's life. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit's doing. So I want you to start with this. That this part of the study, primarily, the fruit of the Spirit, is not the Spirit's gift to you alone. It's not meant for you by yourself. This list is not primarily just for your benefit, as if it will make your day better, as if it will give you a happy attitude. I believe this list is for service. It's what he's doing in us for service. There's a ministry of the Word of God that we're called to, and the Holy Spirit is within you, and we're being designed for that service. This is what he does. This is what he produces. So, put on your thinking caps a little bit this morning as we dig into these words. Uh, be prepared for this, that the Holy Spirit is instilling these things in your life for the good of others. For the good of others. Now, if you look at the list, you heard me read from the New American Standard Version, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, if you were following in the King James, you said, now, that doesn't exactly match all the words I have. You could see love is the same, and joy is the same, and peace is the same, but now you get to patience, and you might have read long-suffering there. And if you had the NIV, you find the word forbearance. And if you see the word kindness, the King James has the word gentleness. The word goodness is universal between them. Faithfulness in one, for New American Standard, faith in the King James Version. Gentleness in New American Standard, they call meekness in the King James. Most people say, well, meekness, I've got to avoid that one at all costs, even though we don't know what it is. We just, uh, it doesn't sound good, does it? Uh, self-control, temperance is the word you might have crossed when I read the list there. Uh, you say, well, okay, pastors, there's different words here. Yes, there is. And we're going to work through them as we go and get an understanding of why these words are chosen. But I think, think it's kind of interesting how the commentaries divide up this list. They like to see three sets of three. I guess that sounds like a pretty good sermon outline, doesn't it? Three sets of three. Uh, and so they try to break it down in various ways. And, and I guess I could just give it all to you and tell you how they've done it, from characters of interstates, characters of man, relationship to man, characters, traits, between man and God and all that. But I think we'd probably be, all be confused by the time I finish that whole page and a half of notes. So I skip it. You say, why? Because this is what I find interesting. This is not included to be just a shopping list to pick through the things that you want to do. But rather, I see it as a unified type of list, a set, if you will. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. A singular set. It has the same source. They all come from the Spirit. And I believe they all have the same aim. As I've already told you. It speaks of our service. 
under the Holy Spirit's direction. I'm going to keep stressing that, but I think you're going to want me to prove it, so I'm going to. Alright? I want to keep this a little bit manageable as I go through it. And I've been told the only way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. So uh, this is where we're going to have to go. It can be quite consuming, to tell the truth. Some people will give ten minutes to each of these words and keep moving on, and I think that hardly scratches the surface uh, to understand the Holy Spirit's uh, education and correction and, and training for us. Perhaps I'm going to have to take one word at a time. Love. First word on the list. That sounds easy, doesn't it? Say, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and you say, hey, I've got that one. No problem. Let's move on. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) Love. Let's insert what we learned last week into this particular word first. This love is not possible unless you're walking by the Spirit. You say, now really? Yes. This is the Spirit's fruit. Are we not commanded to walk by the Spirit? You cannot produce spiritual things apart from the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. It's impossible. You cannot do it. We must walk by the Spirit if this fruit is going to be seen in us. It's not possible any other way. You cannot manufacture this fruit. You cannot do it. It's not your love. It's His. It's the Spirit's love. And that makes a big distinction, by the way, because we're not mingling our love with his love and coming up with some sort of a hybrid or concoction that, that might just work. He doesn't want a mixture of our fleshly work. He doesn't want a mixture of, you know, a little bit of, of what you can do and I'll just kind of fill up the rest of the cup. The Spirit never compromises with the flesh. The Spirit does not cooperate with the flesh. We've seen that, haven't we? And most of the time when we dealt with that point, we were talking about sinful things, weren't we? And we're showing how clearly the opposition is set, like verse number 17 tells us. These are in opposition to one another. That we're saying, well, the Holy Spirit, He speaks on spiritual things, and the flesh deals with sinful things. And so we were easily making the distinctions between the two. And now I'm bringing them together in this one place. When it comes to the spiritual qualities of the, of the Christian, you still can't pull things out of the flesh. It's the Spirit's fruit, right? It's His fruit. We can't add our own fleshly things, mix it all in and say, hey, that's pretty good. He doesn't cooperate with the flesh. He doesn't compromise with the flesh. He's in opposition to the flesh. And so... We can't be satisfied with that. We can't just be satisfied with saying, hey, you know, I'm doing the best I can. We can't do that. Not here. And we can't be satisfied, folks, with with a partial impact here. To to say, you know, I'm operating at 60% with love. (laughs) That may sound better than the guy next to you who's working at 45%. But the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way either. He's not looking for a partial uh, production of fruit. 
He's not satisfied with leaving us at 40%, 60%, whatever that is. The impact he has is complete. That's his goal, remember? I read it to you a little bit through the Word of God. That we may be adequate, that we might be complete and equipped for every good work. That's his goal. Now, I'll add one more thing that we really didn't stress last week, but I think it's important to know. If it's not produced by you, it cannot be maintained by you. Okay? Too often we think, well, he gave me this fruit, now I've got to figure out how to make it work. And for those of us who never read the instruction for things, we just experiment with it forever until we think it's operating like it should. Uh, that's not the operation of the Holy Spirit here. He doesn't give us love and then say, now you figure out how to make that work. We cannot maintain it any more than we could produce it. See, this love that we're going to study today comes from a right relationship with the Holy Spirit. A right relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's actually the natural outcome of that relationship. You don't have to produce it. He produces it. It's his fruit. You walk with him. He produces it. Okay? This is the main point. This is what I'm going to stress all the way through here. Because let's, let's put it down this way, folks. We can't take credit for this. We're not going to stand up and pat ourselves on the back for being so patient or being so peaceful or being so joyful or some other characteristic we're going to see here. We can't take credit even for this love in our life. We cannot do it. We do not own it. We are nothing but clay vessels that the Lord has dumped his treasure into. And it's his treasure. And it's his work. And it produces his pleasure and his glory. And so I go back to this phrase. This Love is not for your benefit. Alright? Primarily, it's not for your benefit. It's not so that you have a better day. It's not so that you have a better life or a happy attitude. It is for service. It is that ministry of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit within you, designing you to serve. Love is the word agape. You've heard that before. I know you have. See, you're all Greek scholars, and you didn't know it. It's the word agape. That's the noun form of the, the Greek word we're looking at. It's what we call the deepest of the loves. We try to define it. It is not quite so easy to define when we try to put it together. We call it the strongest of the loves. We, we call it the, the, the intense devotion kind of love. Uh, we talk about it as an intense sacrifice kind of love. And those are all good words. You might even insert the concept here, and it's not perfect, but it's somewhat like this. It's rather like a divine kind of love. Not only does the New Testament say God is love, and it uses the word agape there, by the way, to to use in that definition, but this has always been a curiosity to the Greek scholars Because there are different kinds of love, and I'll talk about those in a few minutes. And most of Greek literature outside of Scripture uses the other kinds, and rarely ever do you see the word agape appear in their print. But when you read God's word, it's on every other page. It's almost like God reserved that word just for himself. It's an interesting word. 
a fascinating word. But this is what we can know about it. I want to take you through a little commentary on love for a minute. Okay? You have no choice. 1 John chapter 4. Let's go over there. 1 John chapter number 4. I just want a handful of verses here. Let's try 7 uh, through 11. That's, that's not too many uh, to deal with here. But here's our little commentary on love. 1 John 4, 7 through 11. I'll just read it first. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Now, there's lots of passages we could go to, but I think this is a good place to define love. And let me show you what I mean. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Immediate call to service, right? Immediately. That's it. Starting the definition. Boom. Gets busy. <laughs> That's the way it starts. Here's our call to service. What's the reason? He gives us right there in verse 7. For love is from God. This is all agape. And there you just found its source. It's from God. It's from God. And then he says, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. You know, that's the identifying mark of a believer. The identifying mark. Not just from believer to believer, but even... This world identifies this love in a believer. By this the world will know. After Jesus had said, love one another, love one another, love one another. By this the world will know that you're my children. That you walk in the truth. It's because of love. It's an identifying mark. Everyone who is loved is born of God and knows God. And then he goes the opposite in verse number 8. It's so much an identifying mark that the one who does not love does not know God. Wow, is that starting to get a little convicting? Because if we're not operating by walking with the Spirit, this fruit's not being produced in us like it ought to be, guess what is rightfully assumed of us? They're not believers. Oh, is that convicting or what? Would you, would you like somebody to come to that conclusion based on what they see? Ooh, that's pretty tough. The one who does not love does not know God. See, without it, it is right to assume that the believer or the individual is not a believer. Because God is love, he says. God is love. But what does that look like? Verse 9. By this the love of God was manifested. This is how it looks. It's manifested in us that God sent his only begotten son into the world. This is always going to be his display of love. You want to know what love looks like? He's going to say every single time, I sent my son to show you. This is how I demonstrate my great love for you. I gave my son. I gave my son. But let's ask the obvious question. Why did he do that? Why would he love us like that? He says, so that we might live through him. 
If he had not done that, we could not have lived through him, obviously. But in this is love, verse 10. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Big word, I know, atoning sacrifice. The offering, if you will, for our sins. But notice how simple it is in verse 10. You've got the source. He loved us. We've got the initiation here. Who started this? You and me? No. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. Look at the impact. Did this change your life? Did His death for you change your life? Sue says it helped her. She's nodding her head. Everyone else is like, I don't know what he's asking. Yes, you do. Did this change your life? It changed you forever. Forever. Your sins have been forgiven. Because God loves you and sent his son. That's what it says. Now, does that make impact or what? Powerful, powerful thing here. So, he goes back to the purpose of it all. Verse 11, notice what he says again. (laughs) Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. He's back to square one. He calls us to sacrifice. He calls us to an initiating kind of love. He calls us to a love that will impact lives forever. And it's usually, and if I could say usually, I would say mostly, or maybe 100% of the time, aimed at those who are unworthy of it. You got the picture of love yet? Oh, it gets better. Here we go. It's powerful. What's Paul telling the Galatians to do here, back in chapter 5? Galatians 5. This is where it gets fascinating. Look at the context. I want you to see the context. Back to verse 13. He said to them, before he even gone into this passage, For you were called to freedom, brother. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, do what? Serve one another. Didn't I tell you that was why this gift was given? Why? Serve one another. How? Through love. Serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in this statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the context where this fruit passage fits. He's calling them to service. And he's calling them to love one another in an environment that's difficult. Because in verse number 15, we saw their environment. They're biting, they're devouring, and they're consuming one another. If you want the rest of the proof, it's all through Galatians. (laughs) Now, is that a hard arena to serve in? Yes. Generally, if the dog bites you, you don't treat it nice. You get away. You don't treat it as a friend. You think of it as an enemy. If a fellow Christian bites and devours and snaps at you, you don't feel so warm and cozy and fuzzy and all these other words. You, You keep your distance. What is he calling them to do? Love them? And you say, I can't. And you're right. God can. And he does. And who is the Holy Spirit? 
Is he not God? And where does he dwell? Within you. And what is the first fruit on the list that he is instilling in every single one of us? Love. And whose love is it? Ours or his? His. Oh, you're starting to see? This is exactly what we're called to when we go into this passage. This is not the happy arena, folks. We're not picking flowers along the path here. We're on the battlefield, and this is our ammunition. This is what he's given to us in the conflict. Because it is a conflict. See, love is service to others. And it's hard. Matter of fact, it's called in several places a debt. It's a debt that we owe to one another. And since we did not manufacture love, we did not place it inside ourselves, but because God loved us and gave us these things, this is his work in us. Some of my favorite passages in all of Scripture will be found in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. It says in verse number 8 of Romans chapter 5 that he loved us while we were yet sinners. Is that easy? No. It says in verse number 6 of chapter 5 in Romans that he loved us while we were still helpless. It also says in Romans 5 verse 10 that he loved us while we were his enemies. That's a profound love, folks. That's an incredible kind of love. Most people gauge love by what they get from the other individual. That's how we generally, humanly gauge love. What am I getting out of this? Uh, Are you glad God did not measure love to you that way? Because I know what I was giving, and I know what you were giving, because Scripture says that. We were not loving Him. We were His enemies, we were sinners, and we were helpless. He loved us first. He initiated this love. He stepped into our sinful, dirty arena, and he loved us. And he did that. See, we were a target, you would say. We, we were worthy to be unloved. But right there in that same Romans passage, you could look this up sometime and just enjoy all of chapter 5, but... In verse number 5, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Beautiful verse. You see, love is costly. This love is costly. Just speak of the fact that he demonstrated it through giving his own son. His son died for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If you ever take giving out of this definition, you've lost the whole word. Because this love is giving. It's always giving. And if it doesn't give, it's not this love. told you the the Greeks have different ways of expressing love. and, And they usually... In our studies, we come up with three different categories. And there's a, the word eros, which we get words today, erotic and words of that nature. And you say, oh, it doesn't sound like it's going down a happy road here either. Uh, eros is, what are you going to do for me kind of love. It's a take love. Take, take, take. It's, it's one directional. And if you draw a stick figure, put an arrow aiming right at it. 
That's Eros type of love. The scripture says nothing of that. Nothing of that. There is a second word called, we usually use the verb for it, phileo. You get Philadelphia and words like that from. It's brotherly in concept, brotherly love. But it's a reciprocating love. If you have two stick figures there, you put the arrow with points going both ways. Because it's give and take, give and take, receive, give, give, receive, give. It's back and forth love. And honestly, it's a necessary love. Not only in the world and in our Christian behavior, it's a necessary love even in a Christian marriage. It's that kind of love that works together and, and both gives and both receives. And, and it's one that the Lord commends greatly in Scripture, by the way. It's a good love. But there's a third love that we kind of uh, elevate even above beyond that. Is that's our word, agape. It also, if you have a stick figure, has an arrow and it's just pointing out. It's always giving. Always giving. Even without any intention of ever receiving. It gives, it gives, it gives, it gives. And it doesn't matter the cost. It doesn't matter the time. It doesn't matter the effort. It doesn't matter how much pain is involved here. It gives. And it gives. And it gives. And it gives. This is service love. In case you're wondering, what does service look like? This is the kind of love we're called to when we serve. We are to give and give and give and give without consideration for what we get reciprocated to us. Without concern for the cost. Without concern for the pain or the sacrifice. Without concerns of what comes our way. We give. And I know it. It's human for us to say, but, you know, eventually I'm going to run out. You will if you're loving on your strength. But this isn't your love. Whose love is it? It's God's love. Tell me when has he ever run out. And he never will. And here's the, not only is that a, a great thing to know, the, the boundless supply that he hands to you and says, now go in love with my love. It's like, wow, that's an awful lot to work with. But here's the other thing that goes with that. He is so just, he will never forget your labor of love. Mark that. It's in Hebrews chapter 6. No, chapter 4. Chapter, read three chapters, 4, 5, and 6. You'll find it. He will never forget your labor of love. Never. I think it's 410. It's just there. He will never forget. Never forget. You say, well, they forgot. Okay, God didn't. He knows what you've done in ministering in his name. He will never forget. So I think that's worthwhile to say. The Thessalonians were, were commended for their love. The Thessalonian church, you would have loved to have been part of that fellowship. Well, if you don't mind persecution. They had a lot of that, too. But it only enhanced them so much more. And the Thessalonian believers, Paul says, Now to the love of the brethren, and I'm just reading to you from First Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God how to love one another. For you indeed, you practice it toward all the believers who are in Macedonia. If you study through the context, they practiced it to the point of exhaustion. 
just wore them out serving this way, loving one another. And you say, well, okay, Paul says everyone knows about this. And Paul adds three words to the end of the phrase. He says, now, excel still more. You say, but Paul, they're exhausted. He says, keep going. Excel still more. You say, well, how can they do that? You're stretched as far as a human can go. This isn't human love. That's the point. There's no limits. There's no boundaries here. It doesn't get exhausted itself. The supply never runs out. It reaches and reaches and reaches over and over, further and further, further and further. And you say, how far? How far? And then he says, well... Measure it by what I've loved you with. If God so loved you, love one another. There's your measurement. That's our motto. It should be for service. This is the way God loved me. This is the way I will love one another. Let me remind you something else related to service. You can serve brackets. Got it? You can serve. You can serve in the church. You can serve in ministry of all different kinds. You can serve all day long. But without this love, it is absolutely pointless. Paul made that point to the Corinthians when he wrote chapter 13. And you know that passage. Love is kind. Love is patient. It goes on and on and it describes love. But let me read to you the first three sentences of that chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. If you want to see it, you'll see it in its full uh, impression here. Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians 1 through 3. He says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. The idea here is Paul is saying, If I had the gift of speaking every single language on earth and heaven too. Now that's pretty, pretty big gift, isn't it? It says, if I had all those gifts of speaking and I was fully loaded with it and I have not love, I am nothing more than a very annoying noise. I sound like clanging brass or a cymbal. Want to know what cymbals sound like all day long? That's what I sound like without love. Even if I have the most eloquent way of expressing myself in service. Without love, it's noise. Then he says in verse number 2, And if I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all mysteries, and I have all knowledge, and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains. Here he speaks of gifts that say I, I, I could answer any question you raise, any question at all, I can understand. I could unravel any mystery. I could solve any problem. With one simple, quick, decisive answer, I could give you the answer for everything. And not only that, I have such incredible faith. I'm chucking mountains out of the state. But I do not have love. What good is that ministry? That's a very helpful ministry for some. And I've been helping them in such enormous and extravagant ways. But if I have no love, I am nothing. That's a zero, folks. I've done nothing. And, if you want to go even further, verse 3, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and surrender my body to be burned, 
his ultimate sacrifice. He takes everything he has, and he sells it. And then he gives every single penny out to people. He doles it out piece by piece. And he solves the problem for lots and lots of people. Say he was wealthy enough, he could do that. And everyone goes home with stuff that they needed. And they feel satisfied that he's been helped. But he's given everything away. And he has nothing left but his body. And he says, well, I'll sacrifice that too. And he throws it out like throwing it into the flame. The ultimate sacrifice. I'll give my life. To serve somebody else. He says, but if you have no love, you have done nothing. What a waste of a sacrifice. He can't retrieve that one. That's his picture here. So I want to remind you as we go into this passage on service here especially. You can serve all day long to the fullest measure. But without love, it's pointless. Absolutely pointless. Love is essential in ministry. It's indispensable in ministry. It's really the core. When you break it down, you start peeling off the layers until you get down to what is essential, what's in the center of it all. It is love. It is that love that we're talking about here. If I had time, I'd take you into Second Peter chapter 1. You can do that later if you want. It's verse 5 through 8, he starts peeling the labels back. On what's inside, what's inside, what's inside. And the last thing he says is love. That's the core. So I want to ask you something. Get rather personal. Don't answer out loud. (laughs) You may not want to. What's at your core? Dig down deep inside and take a look. What's in there? What identifies you as a believer? What is marked in your character that you are walking in a right relationship with the Holy Spirit? What is seen in your service? What is it? Is this love within you? If the Holy Spirit's in you, it must be. Right? That's what He's producing. It must be. This, folks, is evidence that you're walking with Him. And that's where it comes down to the questions I started with as we had. This might be an encouraging passage for you. This might be an informative passage for you. This might be a convicting passage for you. Or maybe it's a combination of all of that. Because this love comes from a right relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's no other way it's ever going to be produced in you. It is the natural outcome of that relationship. It's not for us to take credit for. We do not own it. We did not produce it. We cannot maintain it. We can use it as the tool he's given to us for his honor and for his glory. We're just clay vessels that God put such wonderful things inside of that we might serve to his pleasure, his glory, and to the benefit of other people. This is love. This is what he is designing in us. So, is that where you want to be? Is this what you want? I told you as we started here, you're going to make a resolution this morning. (laughs) You're resolved. Resolved for what? Don't say, 
I'm going to be more loving. Don't say that. Say, I'm going to walk with the Holy Spirit. Let him take care of the loving part, okay? That's our resolution. To obey what he called us to do, and that is to walk by the Spirit. Heavenly Father, you know every single heart in this room. As we have listened to your word today, as we we sit underneath such things that your word tells us, really, Lord, it's overwhelming in one regard, for you're so great. And your love, how can we ever fathom the depths of such love? But nevertheless, you don't let us off the hook, do you? You set this before us and say, this is your expectation. And then you tell us how. And it's down to, again, our walk with the Spirit. Our walk with the Spirit. And that's where we want you to start with us today. Start right there. With our walk with the Holy Spirit. If, Lord, that is not where it ought to be, that's where the conviction must lie. That's where the instruction must be given. That's where the the reproof, that's where the training needs to come. That we walk by the Spirit. And when He has His way, this love is produced in our service. What a difference it will make when we serve from that kind of love. Lord, do that work, we pray. Impact our lives and make us different. We've done it our way too long. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.